Wellspring Church, thank you so much for tuning in right where you are, right in this moment, to be with me on the Sunday after Christmas. I just want to say to you and to everyone you know and love, Merry Christmas. Even in the midst of the chaos and the craziness of 2020, my hope and prayer is that your Christmas this year was still one that could be considered merry. So before we go any further, I'd just like to take a quick opportunity to pray for our time together this morning or whenever time you're watching. Um, so please, would you join me in prayer? So Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for coming to this earth for us. Thank you for walking among us to gain an understanding of what life is like for us. Thank you for sacrificing your life in heaven to come and live on this broken earth. Thank you, Lord, for all that you did for us while you were on this earth and all you've done for us since. Lord, you are so present with us, and we thank you so much for that reality. Lord, as we look through the pages of your word at Luke chapter 1, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us all in a new and miraculous way, God. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you so much for all that you've given us. And we pray together these things in your name. Amen and amen. So before we really get rolling, um, because you know we're, we're around Christmas time, so I thought it might be kind of cool to have a little bit of fun together. So it's cool. We're good. We can all look a little silly, even if there's some family members around or something like that. Um, so what I want you to do is, is do this stuff with me, okay? So take fists like this, two fists. Don't punch anybody. And put them up next to each other, okay? Now, I'm right-handed. This is my right hand. I'm right-handed. So I should be able to push my left hand that way, okay? And I want you to do this with me. I want you to try this. Because if, if you can do this stuff, then you can like reach out to us and I don't know, maybe we'll get you a coffee or something. So I want you to put your fists up next to each other and I want you to push as hard as you can, okay? Okay, so I'm pushing with my right hand as hard as I can, trying to push my left hand and it does not work. I do not understand the science behind that, but I, it just doesn't work. Again, if you can do it and I can't, maybe you're just cooler than me. I don't know. Here's another one. Okay, ready? So try it with me. You can look like a fool. It's okay. Um, we're doing this together. You and me, we're in this together right now. Okay, so I want you to take one of your hands, either hand, and I want you to try to tickle yourself. An armpit's a good place to start. Usually the armpit is a very ticklish place for most people. Um, another thing that's just kind of impossible, but I don't know, again, I mean, it's like the same thing as someone else tickling you, but it just doesn't work. Um, so this one's cool. I just found out about this one a couple weeks ago. So what I want you to do is take, take your hand, again, either hand, and, and find a flat surface, and I want you to bend your middle finger, so it's like this, and I want you to put your, your, middle, your bent middle finger flat down on the table. Now what I want you to do is lift up your, your thumb on whatever hand is, is, is on that flat surface, okay? So I got my thumb up. You might not be able to see it super well, but trust me when I say my thumb is up. I want you to lift up your pointer finger, okay? And try not to move your, your middle finger at all. So I got my pointer finger up. So cool, we're good to go with that. Okay, now I want you to lift up your pinky. Okay, so so far, so good. I have my thumb up, I have my pointer finger up, and I have my pinky up. Now I want you to try as hard as you can to lift up your ring finger without moving your middle finger at all, okay? So go. So you and me, we're in this together. So on a flat surface, and I am going to do everything I can to move my ring finger without moving my, my middle finger, okay? And again, if you can do this, then you're amazing. So as far as I know, everything that I just did, and hopefully you did with me, so I'm not out here looking like a fool like by myself, is 
basically impossible for us as humans to do. Now, of course, those are kind of silly things, and I'm out here, you know, making a fool of myself here on this, uh, on this beautiful camera on this beautiful evening here. But um, there's some things in our lives that, if we're going to be honest, are also really challenging and can sometimes seem difficult or maybe even impossible for us. Let's take, for example, living through a pandemic. Couldn't have seen it coming, didn't know how to do it. Most of us still don't really know how to do it. Seems next to impossible. How about parenting? Parenting through a pandemic, parenting in general, seems almost impossible so often and so much of the time. You might have a, a struggling relationship in your life right now. Maybe it's uh, uh, a friendship. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it is your relationship with your kids. You have that, this struggling relationship, and it seems like it is just too far gone, impossible to save, just impossible. Maybe you're battling with and struggling an addiction, and again, it just seems impossible. There's no way out. There's no way that I can kick this. So in, uh, during the, the worship time that we shared together, uh, they sang a song called Unstoppable God. And Nicole read from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And one of the phrases in there, so that's the, the passage that we're going to be covering together in, the, in our time together. And one of the phrases in there that really stuck out to me is that nothing will be impossible with God. So I want to say this now, like if you don't remember anything else that I say or that's said in the worship or anything else that's said in our time right now, I hope and pray that you remember this phrase, nothing will be impossible with God. And so sometimes people, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, well, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Like, you know, trying to be like, you know, sarcastic and all that stuff. And so, so let's try to get an understanding of what we mean by impossible. So for that, we're actually going to look to the words of Jesus. And we're looking at Luke chapter 18 and verse 27. So Luke chapter 18, verse 27 says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It says what is impossible with men is possible with God. So what Jesus is saying to us is that there's a lot of things that human beings cannot do. And all of those things are possibilities for God. God does not exist in the same level of limitation that you and I exist in. And the one thing that is truly impossible that none of us can do outside of the help of God is to do anything that lasts forever, anything that's of eternal value. We might be able to do some great stuff here on this earth, but when we go, maybe a few people will remember, but at the end of the day, that thing is done and gone. We cannot take anything with us that we've achieved in this life in our own strength to the next life. Our big idea for this morning, as you may have been able to guess, our main point that we're going to be covering is that nothing will be impossible with God. I'm going to say that phrase a lot of times because it's stuck out to me and I hope that it sticks out to you. And if you remember nothing else, I hope that you remember that nothing will be impossible with God. So again, we're, we're looking at Luke chapter 1, um, this amazing story here. We're starting in verse 26. So if you can follow me in, in, in rereading this verse, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So the first part is that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. So the sixth month 
We'll, we'll kind of unpack this further because in verse 36, 10 verses later, it tells us what the sixth month is. The sixth month is the, the sixth month of the pregnancy of a woman named Elizabeth. And it tells us that Elizabeth and Mary are related. They are relatives to each other. And the angel Gabriel, the same person that we're, the same angel that we're looking at here, also had a visit with a guy named Zechariah. He was a priest and he was in the temple in Jerusalem when this angel Gabriel came to visit him. And this angel said to Zechariah, your wife, who is not able to have children, is going to have a child. You're going to name him John. And in our world, in our context, we now know him to be John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and was sent so that he could make way, prepare the way for Jesus to come. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, and he came from, sent by God, to a town called Nazareth. Again, we'll, we'll unpack a little bit more as we continue moving through this passage of the connections between Elizabeth and Mary. But for right now, let's set the stage. Let's, let's take a moment and look at the town of Nazareth. So you should be looking at a map right now. And that map probably doesn't look super familiar because it's a map that was sort of laid out in, in the context of what life looked like in the time of the New Testament, in the time when this angel came and visited Mary. So if you look at this map, so you'll see like Israel, so Jerusalem is like the capital. That's where um, our, our buddy Zachariah is hanging out in the temple. Jerusalem is a really significant place for this time. You see, I don't know how well you can see it right now, but you see like all these roads, these like major roads and highways, they all cross through Jerusalem. It would have been a, a hub for trade and a hub for like, that's kind of their capital. That's like, that's, that's their like big deal city. Like if we thought in our, our current context of a big deal city, we might think of like, New York or Los Angeles or something like that. That's kind of what they would be thinking about. Like the biggest deal city that Israel had at the time was Jerusalem. Now, what we're talking about right now in our time is a town called Nazareth. And I'm pretty tall, but I can't actually reach all the way up to how far, oh, maybe I can, all the way up to where Nazareth is. So Jerusalem's down here. This is the hub. This is a big deal. So in that time, if you would, if they would have said, hey, Somebody really significant is going to come on the scene here. Most people probably would have thought, okay, yeah, like probably come on the scene in Jerusalem. That makes sense because Jerusalem is the hub, is the main place where things take place. They wouldn't have expected the, the mother of a significant person to be from way up here. Now, you might be able to see too, Bethlehem is all the way down here. So that's where Jesus was actually born, but he's from and kind of grows up and spends a lot of his time all the way up here in this no-name, insignificant place. This town of Nazareth, all, a lot of this area, as we'll, we'll unpack more later too, that it was run by Roman soldiers because the Roman Empire had taken over this area of the world. It wasn't the kind of place you'd expect the Son of God to be announced. For, our, for us, we would almost say, listen, if someone really significant is going to be around, if they're not coming from a big city, they're probably not going to be that big of a deal. We might look at that and say, that's impossible. That's impossible. But not with God. But not with God. So let's continue on. So we've kind of set the scene of a couple of the, the people that we'll be talking about Today, we'll be talking about Mary, Elizabeth makes some appearance here. We're talking about the angel Gabriel making a visit. We're talking about the, the place of Nazareth. We'll continue in verse 27. 
It says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So I want to pause for a second. If you haven't listened to Pastor Jason's sermon from last week, I want to encourage you to do that. And even if you need to pause our time here, it's cool. I won't be mad at you. Pause our time here. Go back and listen to it. It's on Facebook. It's on YouTube. Check it out. Listen to Pastor Jason's sermon because he talked about a passage in Matthew that sort of depicts a similar, the same story, but from a different angle. Um, but he kind of unpacks some of, the, some of the backstory of Mary and Joseph's relationship. And a lot of that is helpful information coming in to our time here. I would like to point out, though, the significance of a virgin birth. Again, something that we would look at and say, it's not possible. With God, nothing will be impossible. It's, but it, to us, it's not possible. So the significance here is that Jesus was the direct son of God. Jesus was not Joseph's son. Jesus was the son of God. This is a miracle of massive proportions that could not be done outside of God. So again, if you haven't listened to to the sermon from last week to get some more backstory, please go back and do that. Um, But we'll continue continue on. So we're we're moving into now verse 28 of Luke chapter 1, which says, And he came to her, this is the angel Gabriel speaking, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Whenever we see an angelic appearance in the Bible, it's almost always met with fear. So angels then probably didn't look like what we think of as, you know, our like hallmark versions of angels, like this cute little baby with tiny wings and a cute little halo and some nice fairy dust sprinkled around. This probably was a large, majestic being that clearly was not of anything that you or I could create or be. And so anytime an angel comes on the scene, so you think of Mary, like she's probably just, you know, going about her daily business, going about her chores, whatever she had going on. And all of a sudden this angel comes. And what this angel has to say is, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. That sounds like really good news. That sounds like a pretty cool statement. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, the Lord is with you, I'm like kind of pumped on that. Like I'm psyched on that. But so her response is fear. So we have to think of like, why would she be in fear? And it's probably this huge being. And she's like, whoa, like I didn't see that coming. I don't know what's going on here, even though he has something good to say. Now, of course, sometimes when we hear something good, we still kind of think it's too good to be true. And also, if this big majestic being popped up in front of me right now, I would probably be thinking, what did I do to get this creature's attention? And how do I get away as quickly as possible? Almost like a, I got called into the principal's office kind of deal, or like I'm getting pulled over and, and you're kind of just thinking, you're just all the things like, what did I do wrong? How do I get out of this? So he, this angel has, the angel Gabriel has to repeat himself and says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. There's not much in here that specifically says how she found favor with God. So the best description that, that I could come to and through, through studying this passage and looking through other, other commentaries and, and other people's perspective, it was grace. Grace is a word that we use a lot in, in the Christian world. And, and the, the quick definition that we often use of grace is, is called, we call it unmerited favor. Favor of God that you didn't earn, that you couldn't earn. So Mary has found grace. 
with God. And this angel has to start by telling her that twice. Greetings, you found favor with the Lord. She's afraid. No, listen, you really, God, God is favoring you. That's why I'm here. So we'll continue in verse 31. And it says, and behold, this is continuing uh, the angel Gabriel saying, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This angel says to her, Mary, your son is going to be the son of God. Now for us, we've heard this story a million times. For as many years as we've been alive, we've heard this story at Christmas. So for us, it's kind of become familiar. Like it's kind of become commonplace. Like, yeah, Mary, son of, son of Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, Mary's mother of Jesus. You know, like we kind of get that. Like it's just like, oh yeah, like the Christmas story, here we are. But imagine, just step into Mary's shoes for a second. So first of all, they were expecting at that time, the Jews were expecting a promised Messiah, the saving one, the savior. If you look all through the pages of the Old Testament, you'll see that these, pro- these things called prophecies that they were, they were telling of a time that would be to come where God would send someone to liberate his people. And at that time, they were expecting a saving one to liberate them from out under the, the rule of the Roman Empire. They probably weren't expecting a virgin birth. They probably weren't expecting a little baby boy Messiah. They were probably expecting a warrior, warrior king kind of Messiah. So we can just imagine for a second all the thoughts that are going through Mary's head right now, because I could imagine if this is me, like and an angel is saying this stuff to me, like my first thought is like, you probably have the wrong house. Like, this is not right. You, you definitely, you got the wrong guy. Like, you might need the people down the street. They're a little holier than me. They're a little nicer than me. Like, you, Angel, you're cool, but hey, you, I think you found the wrong house. And then on top of that, we need to look at the kind of the cultural context of that time. You know, Pastor Jason talked about last week that Joseph would have been justified in the law of that time to do a, one of a couple things to just turn Mary away if she got pregnant and wasn't his, to just turn her away. And in that time, women really weren't of significance in the culture. So they, they wouldn't really get as good opportunities as men. They wouldn't really, um, you know, in terms of finance, finances and living situations and things like that. If she was a single mother, I mean, listen, I know some single moms today. Being a single mom is hard no matter what your circumstances are. Let's imagine for a second that you can't, like you're a single mom and there's no assistance available. You're a single mom and no one wants to help you because they believe that you had a baby because you sinned and had sex with someone that wasn't your husband. That's why he turned you away. So she would have been like an outcast of their whole culture, of their whole society. Even her own family may have turned her away. There was significant risk involved. So as Mary's hearing this, Obviously, I can't sit down and talk with her and have an interview, but I'm guessing that there's a great level of fear and just confusion and just kind of a lot of different thoughts that, you know, obviously she's found favor with God, but then there's this statement of like, what do you want me to do? Have the son of God? Like just just all this, all these thoughts going through her mind. And then we flip for a second to Joseph. So so Joseph, uh, you know, Pastor Jason talked a lot about Joseph last week. So we'll just touch real quick on, there's, there's a couple other people mentioned in reference to Joseph. There's Jacob, 
So if you know if you know the Old Testament, or if you can you know kind of look through the timeline of you know the, or the the family line of Jesus, you'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was a significant character in the Bible for a lot of reasons. You can check more into that. Um, and then you have David. King David was, again, an extremely significant person in biblical history. And the prophecies that we were talking about earlier said that the son of, that the Messiah, the saving one, was going to come through the family line of Jacob and of David. So Joseph, even though he's not the biological father of Jesus, does still have significance here in this story. Because again, going back to that culture and that time, the family line was drawn through the father. So if the, if, even though kind of like stepdad in this situation, but so if Joseph was of the line of Jacob and David, then Jesus would be of those lines as well. And that fulfills the prophecy that said, this is how it's going to happen. Well, guess what? This is how it's happening. Joseph is here for a reason. So it also says that Jesus, uh, that Jesus's kingdom will last forever. So Mary, um, being a, a kind of a, a younger Jewish woman, probably would have been aware of Israel's history and the kings that they had. And the thought of a king lasting forever would probably be almost impossible for her. Um, but again, this is what we come to. It could be impossible, but not with God. So let's check out for a second a map of the Roman Empire. So you'll see that, you know, you have this, this, this sea in the middle, and then all of these, these towns and, and countries and cities and, and, um, and all that around. So let's look for a second here at this map. So we have Jerusalem here. We talked a little bit about Jerusalem, the significance of that. And again, Nazareth is so puny and insignificant that when they made this map of the Roman Empire, they didn't include Nazareth because it's not really a big deal. But, but you could think, so, so Mary living like around here and having a, at least a basic understanding of how much the Roman Empire had control over and how much power they had and how much they negatively affected her place where she lived. Again, the thought, this thought that a kingdom is going to last forever just probably seems crazy, weird. Like, and on top of that, so you look like because the Roman Empire was so evil and so mean and nasty, her initial thought of a kingdom lasting forever might have been, I'm not so sure that's a good idea. Because she might have thought, well, I'm in an empire right now. I'm in a kingdom right now. And it's not working out so well. Like, is a kingdom lasting forever even good? That might have been her initial thought. And, and for us in our current context right now, we can look at the political climate in our country. And I'm not interested in who you voted for and all that stuff. You can, you can save that for somebody else. But, but think about it. Most people either don't like the current president or they don't like the president who's coming next in, in a month or so. So imagine for a second if whichever one you like less is the current president, just for imagination's sake, and then God comes down and says, you know, or Angel Gabriel comes down and says, hey, God's going to send you a president who's going to be the president forever. You might be like, that is a horrible idea. I don't like the president we have now. What if, he, what if God's president is anything like this guy? So there might have been, you know, for us, we might have, whichever guy we like less, we might have an initial cringe moment. Now, eventually, because this is from an angel, she's found favor with God. She, she has some understanding of the character of God through studying the Old Testament. So, so she probably would have come around. 
and, and thought, okay, yeah, like if God is sending a king for a kingdom, it's probably going to be a lot better than what I got going on here and now. But the reality, too, for us is when we think about a kingdom, what does it mean for Jesus to be the king? And what does it mean for him to be the king forever? Because if we're honest, we don't like authority. I want to be able to do things my way. I want to make the rules, and I want to do what I want to do. This kind of, you know, most of us would be familiar with this kind of, I'm going to do me kind of way of life. I'm going to do what works for me. You do what works for you. You don't interfere with my life. I don't interfere with your life. That's how most of us really want to live. And truthfully, to, to what I can look around and gather, that's how most of us do live. Most of us choose to live however we want to with no real care or reference to what other people think about it or what other people have to say. And so that's like us being our own king or queen of our own kingdom. You know, I get to make the rules. I get to do me. You are not going to tell me how to live my life. And maybe I'm not going to tell you how to live yours either. I'm just going to do me. That's it. Well, again, in, in For the sake of honesty, let's take a look at the world we live in for a second. How is it working out for us to to do me and you do you? Because from what I can tell, we are more angry, divided, hurt, and alone than most of us would even like to admit. Our world is filled with and overflowing with hate. Jesus said in his lifetime that the most important rules in the book, you look, look at the words of Jesus himself, the most important rules in the book. Somebody asked, Jesus, what's the most important? There's hundreds of laws. What's the most important one? His response is that you love God more than anything and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' way of life, Jesus' life as king of the kingdom that lasts forever is a life of love. And if we all lived this way, if we put God first, and if we then, out of an overflow of the love we see in God's character and his love for us, loved everyone around us, to my perception, the world would be instantly a better place. Jesus being king means admitting that he knows better than we do and being willing to live his way. Now, for a second, that might sound scary. Giving someone else any level of control over our life, our way of living, any part of it, might be frightening, downright frightening. But as far as I can see, the life that Jesus has for us and calls us to is better than any person, place, or thing this world has to offer. Because anything that I have seen that tries to offer freedom in this life, Jesus offers true freedom and peace and joy and love. Anything that offers freedom on this, on this life, in this world, will only end in captivity, will only end in being enslaved to that thing. If you're into money and fame and power or popularity or, or sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever way of life you're pursuing to try to find freedom, you'll always need more of it 
and more of it and more. It will never be enough. It will all, it will, you will always need more and more and more. If what you need is money, no dollar sign in your bank account will ever satisfy you. You will always be left wanting more. So Jesus' throne will last forever. Now that's whether we like it or not, whether we want it to or not, whether we believe it will or not, Jesus' throne will last forever. And in this eternal kingdom, there is love overflowing. The world we see today is hate overflowing. Let's just be real about it. It's hate overflowing. In the kingdom that Jesus has to offer us, it is love overflowing. There is unity, connectedness, and true peace. Now, I'm gonna pause for a second because many of us have interacted with people who call themselves Christians, and what we've seen is more hate than what anyone else has ever done to us. What we've seen is is aggression. What we've seen is anger. So what I'm talking about today isn't the way that people have poorly represented the kingdom of Jesus. What I'm talking about is the actual kingdom of Jesus, where he said, love God and then love people. He didn't say, go out and be really angry and kill people and do nasty stuff and then say you did it for me. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. So if you've had a bad experience with a Christian and then you think, well, God must be that way, I just want to tell you right now, that's not who God is. That's a person using God's name for their own hatred and their own anger. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. Jesus will satisfy. And if we live in the kingdom of Jesus, we will find joy and freedom. And again, we might say that's not possible, but with God, nothing will be impossible. That's a phrase we've used a bunch of times. I'm gonna keep using it because I really want you to remember it. And repetition is the best way to remember something. So nothing will be impossible with God and Jesus's kingdom will last forever. Let's continue in verse 34. Verse 34 is the first time that Mary speaks in this passage. These are the first words of Mary that we find here. And she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? Now, again, her response isn't a no. It's not an I don't want that. It's not an I don't feel like it. It's how will this be? I didn't pick this up at first, but through talking to others about this passage and reading what others had to say, there's an implied faith that it is possible, but she just doesn't understand it yet. There's an implied faith where she's willing to submit to this idea that this could be, but she just wants to know kind of the the battle plan of how this is going to go down. She says, I'm a virgin, so how am I getting pregnant? Because in her mind, she's like, well, I'm not going to go have sex with Joseph because we're not there yet. Like, we're not there in the process yet. So again, you know, so we have Mary who responds with a how question. How will this be? Zachariah, who we talked about a little bit before, the guy that Angel Gabriel also visited, um, if you read through Luke chapter 1, you'll see in verse 18 that Zechariah also asked a how question. But his how question was, how will I know this? Whereas Mary's question is, how will this be? Zechariah's question is, how will I know this? So in Mary's question, there's an implied faith. In Zechariah's question, there's a very clear doubt. This can't be true. You can't be serious. Tell me how I'm going to know it is, is for real. 
Her confidence in God led to confidence in herself to believe that she could go forward with anything God called her to, no matter how impossible it seemed. And my friends, that same confidence is available to us in Jesus. Will you doubt like Zechariah when God calls you to something that feels impossible? Or will you go forward and say, God, I don't really get it yet, but I'm down. Let's do this. Every time we're faced with a decision, we have, the, we have this, these two options, kind of this devil-angel sort of concept on our shoulders. Now, whether you've been a Christian for never, whether you're not a Christian at all, or whether you've been a Christian your whole life, we're still faced with these questions every day, decisions every day. And there are times, transparently, where I've been more like Zechariah, where it seemed like, okay, like, God, I'm reading your, your Bible, I'm talking to, to other Christians and getting an idea of how you want me to live, and, and I see something on the, on the forefront, and I'm like, listen, I just don't think that's going to work. And the only reason I don't think it's going to work is because I don't feel like doing it. So I try to make every excuse not to do it. I'm Zachariah in those moments. How how will this be? Come on. You can't be serious. Listen, I'm not going to get up there and preach. That's not happening. I'm not going to get up there. You know, like that's, you know, whatever it is, whatever you're, you, you and God, whatever you're called to, there's, I'm, I, how will this be? I don't know. Or will it be like a Mary and say, God, I have faith in you, so I know you can do anything, and I know nothing will be impossible with you, but I'm just not seeing it, so can you help me kind of see your, your, your plan in this? Like, what's my next step? You know, Zechariah's question is like, I'm not taking a step forward towards that. Mary's question is, I will take a step, but just tell me which one. Like, tell me which direction I need to go in, because I'm not really understanding. So you get to, we get to all decide every decision. Will we be more like Mary in having faith, or will we be more like Zechariah? This year, this month, as we look into 2021, we have this choice of taking the example of Zechariah and doubting God and saying, no, that can't be. I'm not into that. I can't do that. Or we take the example of Mary and say, God, I will do this, but just show me how. Let's continue. In verse 35, it says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, who we spoke about earlier a little bit, in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, again, the sixth month, with her who was called barren or unable to have children. For nothing will be impossible with God. So I know I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you haven't listened to Pastor Jason's sermon from last week, he does kind of unpack some of the intricacies of this concept of the virgin birth and, and this, Jesus being the son of God. So if you could please listen to that, it really helps get a better understanding of what we're talking about right now. But let's take a look at, for a second at, at Mary and Elizabeth. So Mary is very young and not married. So she's someone that in that time you could have said probably isn't going to or can't have or be impossible. It wouldn't make sense for her to have a kid. And Elizabeth is much older and is called barren, so unable to now have children. They both had limitations that it could have been said it's not possible for them to do things. And the encouragement for us as in our time together, is that the same God who did impossible, miraculous things in, in the lives of Mary and Elizabeth is the same God who lives inside us, is the same God who's here with us right now. So real quick, a couple other people, a bunch of other people in the Bible who, who did amazing things that we're still talking about now, and they gained treasure for in heaven that lasts for eternity, 
So we have Mary, she was too young. Elizabeth, she was too old. Moses from the Old Testament had a stutter, and yet he was the one who declared to Pharaoh that he was gonna let his people go. Timothy had ulcers. Lazarus was actually dead. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. David had an affair, King David. Jacob was a liar, a guy that we talked about earlier. Jonah ran from God. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Solomon was too rich. Jesus, by any indication, was too poor. Paul was a murderer, and Moses and David were murderers as well. What we come to is that God does not look at the limitations that you and I have in front of us. God sees what he could do in and through our lives, and thank you, Jesus, for that. To me, one of the things that's cool that I'd like to point out is the family ties in this passage. So you have Mary and Elizabeth, they're connected through family, and you have Joseph, who's connected to David and Jacob, family. Now, for us, we have the opportunity through Jesus to be grafted into the family of God. And as Christmas has just passed, just a couple days ago, for many of us, Christmas brings joy. We get to hang out and see some people. But for many of us, Christmas is really hard. Maybe Christmas has been hard the last couple of years, but especially this year. We have the pandemic this year. So a lot of crazy stuff with travel and all this other, other stuff going on. And there's also the reality that many of us have loved ones who loved Christmas and loved celebrating with us who we've loved and, they, and have lost, that they're no longer here with us to celebrate. Some may have spent this holiday completely alone and we're spent the time missing the people that are no longer with us. I wanna tell you though that we are never alone. In the family of God, we are forever connected Mary and Elizabeth, Joseph with Jacob and David. This is a family event. This is a family tree. And we are all grafted into this family tree. So in the lives of these people that had limitations, God did great things. They achieved greatness and greatness that lasts for an eternity. But who in our lives gets to define greatness? Is it God or is it us? And for me, I choose God because I would rather be involved in the hall of faith that lasts forever than any hall of fame this world has to offer that will come and it will go. The reality is that with Jesus, we can all achieve eternal greatness. And we can say that's impossible because we can't do that. I said earlier that none of us can do anything that lasts forever, but with God, nothing will be impossible. So nothing will be impossible. Jesus' kingdom will last forever. With Jesus, we can all achieve eternal greatness And let's turn the corner here to verse 38. This is the last verse that we'll be covering together in our time. And it says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary, I mean, praised, amazing, one of the most significant people to walk this earth. What did she call herself? She called herself the servant of God. The Lord. That's how she defined herself in this encounter. She didn't describe herself as a young person, as a, a woman. She didn't describe herself as under or over anyone. She didn't describe herself in any of these ways. There are so many ways that you and I can identify and, and describe ourselves. She identified herself as a servant of the Lord. She defined herself by her humble faith. And in that humble faith, she achieved greatness. 
this idea that we see in the scriptures that the first will be last and the last will be first. That if you humble yourself, you will be exalted in the kingdom of God. Our motivation isn't greatness, but as we humble ourselves, those are the people that God exalts, as his word tells us. So right now, what are your thoughts on Jesus? Just some guy in a book, cool dude with some interesting ideas? Or is it Emmanuel, God with us? As Pastor Jason said last week, God with us is a game changer. And with Jesus, nothing will be impossible. So we've covered that Jesus' kingdom will last forever, that with Jesus we can all achieve eternal greatness. And in the reality of both of those things, our last point for for our time right now is that our humble faith defines, or I maybe should say should define, our identity. One of the things that we value is engaging with God. And so you'll see this idea of engaging with God. And we have a question that we like to ask ourselves. And the question is, how did I spend time with God this week? How did I spend time with God this week? If you did listen to last week, you you might have gotten that email of the reading plan in the Bible app that we did together. And if you didn't get that, then reach out to us because we want to get it to you. It's an amazing opportunity to read through the scriptures and understand more of what this idea of God with us really means. So if you heard that last week, then then you kind of maybe you already did the reading plan or maybe you have an opportunity. If you ask yourself, how did I engage with God this week? Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you need to go back and do that. Or if maybe the answer is, I did do that reading plan and then, you know, this is how it shaped me. This is how it helped me. My challenge for you this week is to write to Jesus every day for a week. You can call it a letter. You can call it a journal. You can call it a prayer, whatever you need to call it in your phone, on a notebook, whatever it is, write to Jesus every day for a week. It might not make sense that he's the king or you might not want him to be. Sort that out with him. Write to him in that way. So again, the question is, how did I spend time with God this week? How did I engage with God this week? So those are two great opportunities. Get a Bible, physical Bible, or download the Bible app and get into that. Write to God, pray to God, engage with God. We talked earlier that about Luke 18, verse 27, that says what is impossible with God, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And that's in reference that somebody asked him, Jesus, how will anyone be saved? And he says, What's imp- but men can't do it. It's impossible. The most impossible thing is for us, you and me, to save ourselves from ourselves. We simply cannot do it. We cannot earn the favor of God, but we can get it through Jesus. Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. And again, maybe you're just not so sure about this whole Jesus thing. Please, don't don't tell me about it. Don't tell anyone. Just take a moment. First thing in the morning, whenever, you know, take a moment and just write out some thoughts. Just say, dear Jesus, and write out some thoughts. I've been journaling recently, writing out some prayers and and some thoughts on the Bible. It has really helped me because I'm not a person who focuses very well. So it's really helped me to write out some thoughts, be able to reread those thoughts and kind of engage with them in a deeper way, in a deeper level. Jesus wants to, and if we're honest, he deserves to be the king of our lives. I want to tell you that God loves you. I want to tell you that I love you. I want to tell you Merry Christmas. 
And let's sing one last song together in praise to our God.